Peace, everyone. This is Alicia coming to you from Houston, Texas, and thank you for tuning in. Today's microdose podcast is actually a macrodose. I have a guest here today that is a dear friend, um, and we've known each other for over 20 years. And during that time, we've watched each other evolve and grow in different spaces throughout our life. And I'm bringing her here on the show today in an effort to help us all understand the process of healing and the different types of healing that each of us have to go through, especially as it pertains to grieving or suffering any type of loss. I want to welcome my guest, Kim Rayleigh Pickens, or Kim Pickens as some know her as. Hi, Kim. Thank you for joining me on the show and accepting the invitation to be here. Well, thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be able to to share, especially if it's going to help somebody else. Absolutely. And helping you know someone else, one thing that I do know for sure about you is that you are deeply rooted in activism. Um, you've always been a person that has offered yourself as a resource for people who have needed things from, you know, whether it was shelter, um, whether it was, you know, they were just going through a rough time, you've been able to point them in the direction of where they could get the help that they needed, almost as like, um, you know, a person that people can go to to seek refuge in their hardest moments and being a person that, you know, can lift them up so that they can move on and move forward. So in that regard, you are definitely a healer. I first want to kind of talk about um, where are you from? Actually, I was born in Victoria, Texas, so about 125 miles southwest of Houston, uh, okay. headed towards in between. They call it the crossroads, which I never quite understood that. It's not really a crossroads of anything, but we're about midway between Houston and Corpus. Um, okay. Basically, you know, grew up in a middle class neighborhood, mostly white people never really had any particular trauma in my life. Um, but always innately as a child knew that the world was bigger than where I was. Always something that I, um, that when I would see things of the world, it just made me want to, um, want to know more. I had a thirst for knowledge. I loved the library and spending time just learning about different cultures and different countries and, and just the things outside and beyond where where I was at the time in small mm-hmm. town, Texas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like that. So in in venturing out and being a, a little girl who decided that you would escape sounds like through books. I did a lot of that, too, and did a lot of reading just to kind of escape where I was. I know that writing is very close to your heart as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? as a teenager going through high school, like I fell in love with Shakespeare, which was, you know, so funny because yeah, the complexity of trying to understand all that crazy old English language, but it was the stories, you know, it was the actual Mm -hmm. stories that lie underneath that, that really kind of grab you because I mean, Shakespeare wrote for, you know, regular everyday people. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting how, how those kind of things can kind of change your perspective. And is there a particular uh, Shakespeare 
play that you're that you gravitated more to other, more than others? I think Othello. Um, really, you know, Othello was. It's interesting on so many levels, and it's not just the the outright, you know, the the more and the the blonde white wife kind of a thing, but it was just like the the misunderstandings that lead to um, that lead to tragedy. Yes. Uh, that just really was fascinating how quickly that you, you know, people can turn on you that you think are your friends or how paranoia leads you down the wrong roads. It really, uh-huh. it's a very interesting story. It is. And what's interesting too, is that we're still like in this same storyline in some ways. All day long. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about human nature is that we always keep reverting back to a lot of the same behaviors. Um, we mm. don't seem to, everybody doesn't seem to be evolving in the same way, which that is true. fascinating. That is a whole, um, like you said, law of human nature of itself is that the evolution of who we are as people, we seem to be more comfortable repeating, you know, what we've seen. And in that, there becomes a lot of ancestral karma that comes out of that. We start believing that life is happening to us, opposed to making different decisions so something else can happen. And, and a lot we, of that has to do with the fear of change. Yes, know, the fear of of the unknown, and you know, we revert back to some crazy caveman status where we think fire is bad and. The moon goes behind a cloud and you know, the sky's coming to an end. And it just, it just, uh, it's kind of funny and sad all at the same time because you, mm-hmm. you think, how can we possibly, like you said, keep repeating these things when we should know so much better by now? Yeah, we know the outcome. Somehow <laughs> we find ourselves still doing that. And it's, it's really communication to reduce uncertainty in most situations. If we just communicated, we could do that. Like you said, fear, you know, if it's, if it's not fear, it's love. And there's a lack of love amongst who we are as people to just even see each other. So that's interesting. So as you got into Shakespeare and started uncovering those interesting stories, what else? What else did it lead you into? Um, you know, I ended up with a a love of science fiction um, that was really fostered by um, by my ex husband, um, which you know, like I said, he was a huge science fiction fan. But you know, honestly, you know, I am that person that loves to research, and so mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time, even now, you know, with those those big books, the ones that you, they won't let you take out of the library. You have to right. be there. So, yes. yeah, so it's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's something about being able to just like say, how does this work? And being able to just go and pull that book and, and learn something. And, and so whether it's how to garden or how to create Zen in your life, it's like, you know, just that knowledge. It's like, I, I constantly, I'm uh, searching for information to just like feed my brain. Um, That's wonderful. So important to me. It is. And, you know, it's what's more interesting about that is to take in this information 
And when you need the at the exact moment that you need it, it's like you could just go through your file and pull it out and go, here it is. It does sometimes been, feel like that. <laughs> like yeah. Like I've been standing in the grocery store and I'll solve some weird problem that I didn't get at a point when I was in class where I was supposed to get. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is. You know, well, just most of the time, though, there are things that we've learned in school you know, where it's like, if they would have taught you how it actually, like how you would apply that in real life, it would have made so much more sense. Like so much more sense. Yeah. Solve for why every day. Right. You know, to get through traffic, to get to here, to get to here and using this and that that's algebra. I mean, it's just interesting to me Yeah, that if they would have taught it the way we needed to understand it, we would have done a lot better. Yeah. I definitely would have. And so you're right. Application of knowledge, uh, being able to get that knowledge a certain way is so important to be able to apply it. I do it with books in my, you know, I'll go, I have a book about that at home. Didn't read it when I bought it, but it was just something that I felt like I needed at the time. And so I went and I picked it out and it sat on my bookshelf for a couple of years and boom, here we are. I have that. Do you find that that happens to you as well? I do. And, you know, Raj and I, we couldn't leave a bookstore or a thrift store without having one too many dadgum books that, you know, picked up. And, you know, it's like the the library, the information that we've accumulated over these past 20 years has been just like a fascinating uh, mixture of like so many things. There's religious stuff, there's spiritual stuff, there's Mm -hmm. stuff on how to build a motorcycle. I mean, like just the most random or (laughs) it just, it's so funny. It just, the amazing amount of information. And even if it was like said, a five cent book, it's like it more than likely ended up in our basket and, you know, on our shelf somewhere. Isn't it even more wonderful to To have someone to share that with, to be able, someone who is just as interested in buying a five cent book as you are because of the knowledge that might be in those pages. And then to take it a step further that you may actually end up sharing this book and reading it at the same time because it is so good, but there's one copy and you're going to read it together. Those are the most tender moments of intimacy when you have that kind of knowledge that you want to share together, that it's so simple that it just, it just bonds everything in the relationship. Well, it's, it was a, a really amazing experience to have, you know, those conversations about something that you read, you stop and you read a passage to that person. Like mm-hmm. said, it, it is, it, it is that intimacy and that sharing of, of information and knowledge that, really just elevates your relationship. Yes. And so as we're talking about, you know, that and the connection in that, tell us about your husband. My husband, Rajalay Dejal Pickens, um, born in Houston, seven years my junior, but so much, so much further along in his spiritual journey than I was at the time we met. And for everything I thought I knew, he managed to show me that I didn't really know anything. Just amazing. (laughs) Um, And, you know, he was, uh, when I met him, he was uh, part of a little singer songwriter circle. A mutual friend of ours, Chelsea Beauchamp had him as part of the circle. And 
And of course, Chelsea was one of those people that was like, you will come. You will come and listen. To <laughs> okay. Yes, ma'am. We'll be there. <laughs> and so <laughs> there it was me, Andrea, Steph, just a whole bunch of the people we know from poetry. And, you know, and we're sitting there and we're enjoying this. And this this young brother just like we had no idea how old he was. You couldn't tell by looking at him. And he mm-hmm. starts singing like Marvin Gaye, like it's 1975. Wow. You know, and he just had so much in the the way he sang, and it was so soft but so strong when you heard his voice that it stopped us all. Like we were just like, okay, oh yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the thing is, and like I said, it was such an enjoyable experience. Like you had no idea, like I said, what what he was all about, except for the fact you could just feel the depth of his soul when he mm-hmm. sang. And, and I found out that he was a, a host of the Thursday night, um, uh, open mic that they did up at, um, uh, the mausoleum. I was still okay. the mausoleum at the time. Wow. And wow. for yeah. those of you who don't know, <laughs> <laughs> the mausoleum is now Avant Garden, but before that it was what, um, Mausoleum Helios and yeah. then Avant Garden. Is that yeah, right? Garden, yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and so all the way back then it was the mausoleum and it was dark <laughs> and dusty and just, yes. it was Ugh. just crazy. But you know, there's this guy and he's up there on the mic and he's, you know, hosting, but then there's all these people that when he would sing his set that they wouldn't join in with him and, you know, people would join in and play behind him. I mean, just, okay. He was just uh, captivating. I mean, that's the best way I can put it is he was captivating and and such a pleasant person to be around. Like he was truly, so pleasant and mild, just just so gentle. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I started uh, I started going to hang out and I would go sit back in the corner and it was kind of the, the silent stalk, but nothing creepy. But, you know, just I just really enjoyed, <laughs> I really yeah, just enjoyed right. listening to him. And he had a song called Let It Go. Really, for where I was in my life at that moment, it really spoke to me. And so when he would, you know, say, anybody have any request, I would be like, let it go. And so he would play that for me. And um, and so we, you know, we started to kind of communicate like that. And you know, I realized at one point after we actually met that time that we had met before. Oh, really? And it is just such a a wild thing because I didn't think that he remembered me, but I remembered him. There was, I don't know if you remember a little place called Instant Karma in Montrose. I do. Uh And so they had that open mic night on Monday nights. Santasha and I went up to do the open mic and Mm -hmm. it was basically a music open mic. And so, and, you know, musicians can get kind of finicky about, uh, about having poetry done in between because they were pulling, uh, you know, stuff out of the way and, and we were kind of in their way, but they still let us do it. And so I got up and did a poem. I got up and did a poem, but I remember having seen him when we first walked in, I looked over and I saw this brother sitting there and he had, you know, this black hat looking like he had all these these necklaces and just, I mean, he just 
was such a different personality from what I was used to seeing, even in that space. Mm-hmm. And I saw that there were some girls sitting next to him. And I just assumed they were all together. Like I said, not, you know, just noticing I really kind of dug his vibe, but, you know, obviously I wasn't just going to go run up on him or anything. Right. Like that. But, you, know, <laughs> you know, when you realize you notice people. And so, so Tasha got up and did a poem. I did a poem. And what's funny is, you know, cause Santasha was doing a poem called molecules at that time. And, okay. and it's that where she just sways back and forth and you, she gets your attention and she's sexy as all get out. And, you yeah. know, I got up and did my poem and it was the one where I sang that Brian McKnight song, that piece mm. of it. And, you know, and the thing is, and I really wasn't thinking about it cause it's kind of a bluesy song kind of a yeah. poem. And so what's funny is, I didn't think about it after that. I didn't, you know, we, we sat down, we enjoyed the rest of the night and then we left. And then after Raj and I met this next carnation, you know, it was funny because he remembered me and didn't remember Santasha. It was just so funny to me that, yeah. that, you know, how that's not the way I expected him to remember. And I didn't even know if he would remember that. And that was right after he had gotten back from being in Austin for, um, for about three, four years going. to oh, wow. And so, like I said, it was just such an interesting time to be an artist in Houston, such an interesting time to kind of exist in those worlds of poetry and music mm-hmm. and art. We had a lot of the same mutual friends, but hadn't met until that open mic that Chelsea was hosting. And so, you know, we started to kind of hang out and, you know, there was just such a chemistry that I had not experienced before, even though I'd been married before, it just was so different. Mm. He challenged me on different things and just the way that he thought and being an Aquarius, like I said, he really put a lot of dreams. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Both of my parents, Aquarians, oh. born on the same day. Wow. So I can only imagine. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, um, so he went to UT. Mm-hmm. What did he study there? He actually went as to be an engineer. Because really? he loved designing things. But what's funny mm-hmm. is at a certain point in time, he realized the math was not where it was at with him. Okay. <laughs> and, and he became an English major. Really? Okay. He was very much into Faulkner, um, mm-hmm. really appreciated the prose. And, and I think that's why his, the song, the way he writes songs was that very makes sense. Yes. And, um, and I think that was a lot of that was influenced. He had a lot of really interesting experiences at UT um, including, you know, whether they were good or bad. Um, cause he had the reason why he ended up coming back, uh, to Houston was because he had trauma in his existence. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He, uh, he ended up institutionalized briefly, uh, because okay. of trauma and, you know, and some of that, and that was in Austin. That was in Austin. Okay. Um, and then he ended up when he got back to Houston, um, he ended up being institutionalized briefly um, because of kind of having a relapse into that. That um, it's more like uh, when he wasn't taking care of himself. Okay, he seemed to to be very vulnerable to mm-hmm. um, 
to just kind of having a, a bit of a breakdown and, and it was very traumatic for him. And, you know, a lot of people who knew him, knew him from before that, Mm -hmm. who like, he was never quite the same, but then for me, I think what bothers me about when people would say that is, you know, that's the only Raj I've ever known. Right. And so, you know, I don't, I never saw him any differently. I, I know that, you know, the past few years he had been angrier Raj, but a lot of that has to do with what we see today. You know, people not right. being loving, people not being caring. He felt very empathetic with all that. He felt the world very deeply. And, and that was a big part of, of how he wrote, what he wrote about and how he conducted his art, period. I'm glad that you're sharing this because mental wellness in particular um, amongst Black men is an important agenda. The pride that comes with not feeling like we need help or don't want the help, the stigmas that are tied to mental illness, or just like you say, just having a breakdown. Uh This world is heavy. And there's a lot of expectation that comes with you know, being a man or being a woman, there's a lot of expectation um, to have to make yourself available for certain things that you may not want to be available for or not even know how to make yourself available for. Well, and the thing is that we don't all get the luxury, especially, you know, I mean, like I said, raising boys, I've, you know, we've been very intentional and very conscious about the way that we, that we have talked to them. Like, I hate that phrase, uh, Oh, boys will be boys. What does that mean? You know, exactly. Is, you know, when I look at Raj and I see the the conversations we've had and the the things that the bouts of depression and things he's had, you know, you know, he he was angry, and a lot of times that he was angry, it's because that people didn't allow him the opportunity to be able to be upset. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you want to get mad, it's like people always assume that you're you're overreacting and you're this or that. And, you know, you don't get a chance to cry. You don't get a chance to be sad because you got to man up and all that other nonsense that people say. And, you know, the thing is, and that's, we, we do a disservice to men um, Mm -hmm. in that regard. And, you know, and to be uh, a man of color, like I said, it really is a big stigma. And I'm, I'm glad to see that a lot of People are speaking out about their own situations because I really would like to see, you know, people not be afraid to share that they're scared. Yeah. And doing it in a way where, you know, because in my own study, I understand that anger is an activated form of sadness. And so, you know, when a person is angry, they're at a point where they're trying to command and demand that people pay attention to them. And they may not be able to articulate that in a way that people can understand. And so it may just come out in a way where it cannot be understood. It's completely misunderstood because by the time you get to anger, you're starting to lose control. But how long did that sit as sadness? How long was it Or has anyone even asked you if you were okay? And if they asked you if you were okay, did you tell the truth or did you just say, no, I'm fine? Out of fear of being weak, out of fear of expressing your emotions, especially depending on your childhood conditioning, 
especially young black boys who, like you say, are told, you know, don't cry, you know, man up or, you know, whatever it is that we tell boys about what it is to be emotional and how it makes them weak to do so. It has to come out somewhere. And so it will come out as anger if we're not careful and giving them the tools to really process um, what it is that they need to process in a healthy way. So that lets me know that you and Raj met at a time when he sounded like he was healing. Do you think that's one of the reasons that you connected so, you know, magnetically? Well, uh, what's funny is I think that we both have the same disease when it comes to okay. hair signs where it's like, you know, you you find, you know, Raj had a thing about finding people who who he needed to heal. Mm. And I did too. And I think the irony is we both needed to heal. And okay. so finding each other was such, it created such a strong bond. Um, it really was something, like I said, that I've never experienced before. And, you know, and he understood, um, he understood me as an artist. He understood me mm-hmm. as a human being and, and was, and was actually listening. You know, it wasn't like he was just paying me lip service and, you know, and I feel like he, um, you know, he was my best friend. I feel like we could tell each other anything, even, even though we also knew how to push each other's buttons and, oh, you know, I'm sure. you, you learn and, you know, but the thing is part of having an honest, loving relationship is that, you know, you have to know when to not do that. Right. Exactly. And that's what love is. Love is the thing that makes you stay. It makes you want to sort through it. It makes you give space. It makes you give intimacy and connection without feeling offended or, you know, where you have to get defensive. It really, love is really this thing that allows you to process that this is the person, this is my person. And so I can wait, I can give space to it. We'll get back to it. I'm not going anywhere. And that's rare um, when we're accustomed to having conversations with people and we need to know what's going to happen right now. Like we need an answer right now. But like you say, just not pushing those buttons because you know where it can go. (laughs) It's just not necessary. At a certain point in time, you have to be grown enough to stop playing games with people, especially people you love. Yes, I agree. Thank you for listening to the Microdosing Podcast. Please join us for our next segment as Kim and I discuss her beautiful manifestation created in love with her husband, Raj, and how their differences in culture and race brought them home to themselves. As always, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share to the Microdosing Podcast with Alicia. We look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care of yourself and each other.